Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Aglap. Of course, it's me, Paolo, your host. And today's episode is a very fun episode, I have to say, because I'm not really sure if you guys know this about me, but I'm a huge um, comic book fan as a kid. And until now, I'm still a huge uh, graphic novel fan, right? You know, I love um, the different stories, the artworks. Actually, the one reason why I enjoy graphic novels a lot ever since I was a kid was always the artworks by, you know, the artists and, of course, the stories by by the authors. And it's one of those mediums I feel that, you know, more and more people could get into and could also contribute in that sense. So for today's episode, we'll be talking about uh, Comicet. So Comicet is basically this local company that helps uh, local artists and slash authors uh, you know, distribute their work, you know, they, they help sell their work and help them, you know, uh, make it reach a wider audience. And I think that's such a great thing because, you know, back in the day, you know, you'd only hear about the old school um, Filipino comics, but at least now you get to see like the different indie ones. And there's just so many new guys coming out with really extraordinary work that, you know, if you didn't, like when you just see it, you wouldn't think it was by a local artist, right? You think it's by someone from abroad or, or something like that. But anyway, uh, for our for the guest for today, um, this is someone who helped with this whole Comicet thing. So he is the president and co-founder of Comicet, which is a nonprofit organization that aims to help nurture and grow the Filipino comics community. He's a publisher, lead lecturer of the Comic Book Creators Workshop, and the festival director of the Philippine International Comic Books Festival. He's also an indie filmmaker, advertising creative director, and comic book author. So welcome to Igla for the very first time, Paolo Heras. So it's a Paolo Paolo show for today. <laughs> thank you, Paolo, and thank you for having me here. And hello, everyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, thank you for being here. I, you know, you're, you're a very busy individual, and you know, thank you for um, you know, making the time. Now, I'm just curious though. So, I didn't know you are an indie filmmaker. So, are these like short films or the, the or full length movies? No, well, it's a past life that I sometimes go back to. But um, no, I my first film is a full length. So I've been doing I've done four full length indie films. Uh, my first one, uh, my first one is um, I went straight into directing my my a screenplay that I wrote. Um, I used up all of my savings to do it because I wanted to you know tell a story. And most of the in in the filmmakers back then were script writers like me that started to direct um, because that's what. You know, a lot of a lot of the scriptwriters during that time just felt like we we couldn't get our stories across, uh, because at that time there was only the five families that ruled the film industry, and they were battling um, rampant piracy, uh, Hollywood, uh, local distribution problems. So when Cinema Laya, Cinema One, and uh, and digital cinema started to come out, uh, to become more accessible to to more filmmakers there was a wave of writers turned directors or other uh, other film production uh, professionals that started to direct their own work so i i did mine in 2006 it it's it's called Lembanog. <laughs> it's uh, uh and then i love the title by the way <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's like um it it's a it's a magicalist story five of five characters and their love stories when they take a shot they remember their love story their true love you no know? and then each five senses five characters so that's what that was um and then and then each shot it, after each love story to be the next person in the in the, the tomagay because the the Lambanog has had like a gayuma in it. So that's why uh, they remember that. So after doing that, of course, it, it looked like a film that was directed by a writer. <laughs> um, so um, my next film uh, was part of the Simon Originals batch too. So that's 2006 as well. So in that same year. Um, so that was Ricardos. Uh, it starred um, Meryl Soriano, Tito Putz Ansenua, Yula Valdez, and, um, and Anna Capri, and Mario Magalona. So a lot of them were nominated for the Best Actress Award, and Mario Magalona won the Best Actor for that year at the Simon wow. uh, Awards night. And, um, and the film made it to Tokyo International Film Festival. So I went to Tokyo, I went to India, and then um, I did my next film, which uh, was was Manguhula with Yula, uh, and it's it's um, it featured the twenty the twenty two major tarot deck cards. So mm -hmm. like a, the full um, yeah, actually the full so, only card that I know. <laughs> so I'm really fond of. Um, of stories of the fantastic and and the, and the supernatural. Uh, so, after going to to Tokyo uh, International Film Fest, uh, I came back broke, and I, I wanted to be a better filmmaker, better writer director. So, I met Direct Cholo Laurel, and he recommended that you know you should go and try advertising. So, I did. Uh, I went. I worked in Publicist Manila. I mentored with Marlon Rivera. And um, that was seven years of my life. So I went, uh, when I retired from, <laughs> when I resigned and retired from advertising, um, I, I shot Buhay uh, Abang Buhay, which was a graphic, which a which a film script, which we, I turned into a graphic novel with Tapay Pascual, who was my art director in in publicis, and um, and shot it in twenty fifteen, and it was part of the twenty sixteen in a Filipino film festival. So that was the last film I did, um, and I focused on on creative consultancy work and comic ed. So I put up the uh, comic ed in twenty fifteen. Yeah, but your last film was like five years ago. Do you think that you'd make another one, like in the future? Like, are, are you leaving the door open for that? Um. Well, the door is always open. It's just that it it really takes uh, it really takes a lot from you. So, so, um, when when I do find that story that I would want to shoot uh, live. But I, I I would want to explore animation more because the stories that I like to tell. So uh, I realized after doing the the four films that I did that it would have looked a lot better if it was animated. Um, so that's that's 
my realization with the last one because there was a lot I could do uh, the limitation of production uh, the budget as well um, it was because Boy Habang Boy is a ghost film that wasn't a horror film it was like um, it was we were tracking the emotional journey of, of a ghost uh, that turns white the white lady black lady as one character so when she's happy and good she's white and when she's angry or or malevolent she's black so that was the twist of the of the ghost um the white lady the black lady uh thing so there was a lot of visual effects that was needed and it, that that film needed more budget than than the than the two million peso budget it had so so i would be more open to animation if that's uh if that's in the cards if that's in the in the divine plan for the universe so <laughs> actually thinking about it i do agree with you like there are just really some type of stories that you make right or that you want to make that would really look better right in those animation like what you said because when you're animating right whether it's computer or if it's hand drawn or whatever you can make your own visual effects on the paper right as compared to when you film something that's live action then you have to do it in post right the visual effects and that would yeah. make it more difficult so i'm curious uh what made you want to be a filmmaker at first like you know i mean what inspired you to be a filmmaker like did you have any like you know directors you look up to or no, actually, um, I just wanted to be a storyteller. So whether or not that, that's in film or advertising or comics, I just, you know, I, my roots is in writing. My roots is in creative writing. Um, I, I, I uh, had a scholarship at the Philippine Iso for the Arts. I majored in creative writing. So I lived there for a year. Uh, in Mount Makiling, so I always go back to, that's why I shot Lambanog in Los Baños and one of the characters is like a modern day Maria Makiling, so um, at, at the heart of it all uh, I am a storyteller, so it wasn't like I want to be like a local director or a foreign director um, I do love films but it never crossed my mind to direct until um, it just became accessible. And if nobody else believes in stories I'd like to tell, then I might as well do it my, myself. And that was the attitude of um, a lot of filmmakers. Because, um, I was part of the Ricky Lee script workshop, the Batch 11. So a lot of my batchmates directed. They were writers that directed or... or um, short filmmakers that went full length, uh, actors that also directed. So that was the, that was the, the, that was the time. That was the, the spirit of that time. There were a lot of stories that weren't being told because they weren't part of the horror romantic comedy genre that was uh, prevalent. That was the only ones that were succeeding back in 2000 to 2005 because um it was only I mean, I, the local production was down to 20 films a year and half of that is with the mmf right so yeah. that's how how the film industry was struggling because it couldn't compete with 
Hollywood and piracy and free, even free TV was had the teleseries back then started to have and grander productions. You know? So the only route to get into film production was in APS or GMA uh, yeah. or even BC5 back then. So yeah, that's how we that's how I ended up directing. Um, I just fell into it, I guess. <laughs> Actually, you know, I kind of agree with you. Back then, I do remember a time we're in, uh, because obviously the MMFFs, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they have their own like films, right? And whether or not those are good films or not, that's like a whole different debate we could have. Uh, but yeah, I noticed that because, you know, as a kid, uh, I did watch a lot of um, older films. So like one of my favorite local films of all time is Manila by Night. Uh, I'm not sure if you, you know that film. Then I yep. noticed that like in the early 2000s, I guess, or maybe up to like 2005 or something like that, there's very few like indie films that came out, right? The only times you could watch are during like Cinema Lie or something. But in terms of like mainstream, you couldn't get it. But I'm just curious. So I'm sure probably you noticed that compared to back then and now, uh, maybe because of uh, you know the different film festivals or, or whatnot, there's like a growth in terms of, Indie movies, right? I mean, I think nowadays you could probably see at least 10 in a year, give or take. I mean, pre-pandemic. Uh, so why do you think a lot of, um, you know, local guys decide, you know, I want to make an indie movie. I just want to make my movie, whether it makes money or not, it's just out there. Like, you know. Um, Sorry, can you repeat the question? Because I think we tayo for... Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. All right. Well, you know the internet in the Philippines, right? So anyway, like, why do you think more and more younger people um, nowadays, they're willing to make films, right? Whether it makes money or not. It, I mean, I'm sure they would want it to make money, but if it doesn't, it doesn't really bother them that much, right? Um, there's even that local... Shoot. Um, shoot. What's even that um, film production house, the one that helped make General Luna? Uh, the the producers the production house is TBA. There TBA so that's the one yeah TBA. Um, well, it just it's more accessible. Uh, digital technology made it accessible to everyone. Uh, remember back then we were filmmakers shooting or film film production houses commercial commercial production houses was uh or the sorry the mainstream production companies uh, were shooting in 35 and that's very expensive that's yeah. why you know they had to earn their money back when digital technology came in the editing became more affordable um the cameras also uh the camera the, the equipment also and um the projection during that time was what what was being used was like um office uh overhead projectors, office projectors pa. So that's 2005. I remember seeing one of the first digital films, uh, John Red Still Lives, which is one of my favorite. And um, Chris Pablo's Duda. Duda was shown in uh, in SM uh, and using a, a overhead projector for the office because that was all that was available back then. So you can imagine that technical side filmmaking was still very rough and very very uh very 
poor. <laughs> uh, that's why it was very difficult to grow the audience back then. So it, the filmmakers right now, once you make a movie, people don't hesitate that much uh, to watch it because the exp- the technicals has catched up. Uh, there people now work on sound design and scoring and um, and back then that was like one of the last things that that was prioritized like sound sound is, is was always one of the major problems when when uh, the digital films was was being made because our budgets was like the first batch of cinema Laya and cinema one was like 500,000 uh, all in and the cinema one films are owned by ABS-CBN so filmmakers would beg, steal, borrow, and kill themselves just to tell their story, uh, which would be owned by, by ABS. And that still goes with the, with the Cine Filipino, which is owned by TV5. No? So um, there are so many filmmakers who just, or storytellers, storytellers who want to get their, their, their films across. So the digital, digital technology made it possible. So it became more affordable. Um, actors who were um, fed up with the limitation of what they are asked to do felt um, constrained with uh, with uh, especially those who were frustrated and wanted to you know to to expand uh, and show what they can do uh, were willing to do to 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 were willing to be part of, of indie films and would look for indie films that would, would uh, match what um, how they'd also like to grow and how they'd like to be presented and and uh, so it, it it was from all sides there were a lot of a lot of things that were were opening up and then I think when 2007 2008 came in the cameras were now on, on high definition, uh, so the quality of visuals improved. Um, by 2010, 11, I think the color grading became more affordable because back then, in 2009, you'd still spend a million to color grade uh, your film. Uh, so right now, it's it's a fraction of that. You know, it, it doesn't cost that much. Um, but it still costs uh, if you a big to, amount to make them. If uh, you if by now you should be paying everyone. So back then everybody just wanted to do something great. So that's that was a common factor um, at the beginning, no? Because big brain fog na ano parang that's like that's like more than um, almost fifteen years ago, no? So. That's how it started. We were just there in in cinemas with overhead projectors. With uh, we started shooting with DVX one hundred na Panasonic, so we we're shooting via tape. So hindi pa siya, hindi pa siya um, high definition, no. And then that was that was uh, that's why if you look at if you look back at the films that were made during that time, it really looked very rough. There were a lot of beautiful films that were shot there. I mean, you had during that time you had like. Pagdadalaga ni Maximo Oliveros. And one of my favorite uh, Cinemalaya films is Rotonda by Ron Bryant. Um, there was a lot of good good films being done that, back then at that cost. 
at that at 500,000 600,000 but of course the value uh, the true value of the film is mu uh, much more you know? but at that time that's all we had so i think just to go back to your your comment on of on the mmf films uh, that one that one a little bit tricky you know to it's easy to say that they're not good um in terms of story and production <laughs> but the objective of that festival is to earn money from yeah. mmda that's film festival that uh mmda is lording over and it's supposed to help um all of the government agencies that are our organizations that help the film industry like mobile fund and famas and they're not getting their i that's um hearsay but um from what i've heard uh the they're not getting their their funds so can you imagine that's the biggest like these um mainstream producers that's the only one time of the year that they can earn so that they can feed and i mean pay their people and and their budgets for their films for the rest for the next year so you can't totally blame them for creating that type of films uh because that's like that's what's feeding and that's what keep that keeps the industry alive at that time and even i'm not pro or anti i'm just stating the the you're, you're being neutral in that in that sense and then can you imagine that um there's a double standard also in in back then i don't know right now because i'm not anymore that active in in the film industry but uh, back then, there's also a double standard for local films to be shown in cinemas. Um, foreign films get placement, so they pay the distributors pay for the films to be there. So even if it's a bad film that doesn't earn because they paid for the block, you can't take it out, right? So yeah. Angels and Demons was a big flop, but it was there for two weeks. So, so that's one example, you know. But for, for Filipino films, it's a double standard because the cinema get percentages. They get, when I was there, they were getting like 30, 35% of the ticket sales. That's big. That's pretty big. That is big. Um, That's crazy. I heard, it, I heard they raised it. So what happens is uh, if you, if you like um, that, and, and, and the day that starts, uh, when your film starts, is a Wednesday where nobody goes to the malls. Right, so if it's a flop on the first day, they can always take it out, yeah. and it might not even reach Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, hindi mababawi yung distribution costs ng filmmaker or ng producer. It yeah. is very difficult. It's a it, it's an uphill climb to to get your films uh, sustainable. Actually, that's the keyword. Make it sustainable so that it it's a healthy uh, it's a healthy way for um, so that you don't keep bleeding. Because it's a high investment, high risk uh, investment and a low gain. Uh, unless you have like a big star or it's backed up by a big distributor that can afford to. Because once mm -hmm. one cinema closes its doors to you during that, let's say Wednesday, and then it's, it's weak on this cinema, uh, in this branch, if it closes, it's so it's very difficult to to um it's very very difficult to to earn unless you're in mmff so 
it's that, that's the reason why it is the way it is and that's why if i'm not mistaken chair lisa dino tried to get the mmff and put it from mmda and and um put it under the wing of fdcp uh or at least be independently away from mm from mmda and that's when uh tinarayan lang siya ng uh the spokesperson uh, beauty contestant spokesperson nila. so could tell that that's a lot of money <laughs> in the wrong hands meaning it's not in the uh, it's not in the hands of people who are taking care of the industry who are developing and growing and know what's best for the industry diba? so malaking malaking kalaban yan for it to be taken out i i think a presidential the only a presidential degree uh might might do, do it that. so yeah. that's that's why it's like that so i'm not I'm not anti MFF. I'm not pro MFF. It's just that it is. It has its own objective. You know? It has its own reason for existing, and um, that's why that way it is the way it is. Because even there are a lot of indie film film productions being produced. They they usually go discounted fees. So even if we add all them together, it's like it's like gigs or rackets, right? So it's not like secure employment that you can uh, rely on. So that's something that yes, uh, both have has its value, but you still need both to sustain employment and and uh, and livelihoods. No, because that's why it's very tricky. That MMDA is a is I didn't know about the whole um, that you know the whole. MFF was supporting, you know, these agencies. I, I didn't know about that, but I mean, you kind of know that that's the, like what you mentioned is the one year that's I I think most of the big studios. I mean, there are only three anyway. Um, they they bring out their films and put like their best stars, right? But it's just that I guess you know, as a kid, I was a really weird kid. If uh, if I can be frank, like can you imagine as as a kid, I I would watch um the Four Hundred Blows. I would watch Akira Kurosawa. And, you know, these are films that, in my opinion, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, when people watch it in the future, they're like, you know, this is a good film. This is a superb film, right? Uh, then when you compare it to some of the films in MMFF, wherein you're like, this doesn't even age after after three months, it doesn't even age well anymore. Um, but I do get the point that they do need to get funds. And unless if you can find a way to change it in a way wherein you could do it better or in a different way that there's no way they're going to change it but i do remember my favorite mmff and i'm sure you, you'll probably know what i'm talking about was the year of i'm not sure if it was like 2016 or 2017 when they had like oro um die born beautiful was it die beautiful or born beautiful one of the beautifuls yeah die beautiful um baba is a girl in the septic tank too i think that was the title um then that Eric Matty horror film, which I really like, um, Seclusion. That that one I, I really like. So before we end this film part of your life, Paolo, I'm just curious, like, what are your top three films of all time? Like, for you, these are your three favorite, um, just opinionated, like, you know, you don't need, need to defend why it's your top three, but, like, what, what, what are the three films? Yeah. Both um, local and international, so you can mix it up yeah. if you want. Um, because the way I view my, my life is in chapters. So that's why when you talk about film, you go, whoa, take that. Like, I'm trying to remember that period. No? So, 
um, that time I was so into film. I was fresh from the workshop of, of Ricky Lee's uh, scriptwriting workshop led me to Star Cinema and and ABS-CBN because I was like, I was only seven, fourth year high school. I was 17 when, when I joined the workshop. So I was the youngest in my batch. And um, I, my first screenplay was lucky to win in the in the in Stars Plus first script writing contest. So it's like I got the third prize. And that's how I found my way into being one of the first brainstormers with which of which turned into the concept development group, which turned into what they call the creatives. So, um, so Rick Lee was a very big uh, influence in, in my life. I had two I have two mentors. Well I have more teachers, but I would credit two mentors, and one of them is Ricky Lee. And I, I love, one of my favorite films of all time is his, uh, one of the screenplays that he wrote, which is Moral um, by Marilyn Diaz Abaya. So I actually have the, I have the, published it, I found a copy of the book. So. Well, that must be like a collector's item by now. <laughs> Yeah, so this is my shelf. So the foreign comics, local comics, uh, Filipiniana, um, children's books, and some uh, spiritual studies. So that's what I kept left in my library. But yeah, um, Morales, uh, one of my favorite films of all time. It's Mariludia Sabay's first film. Um, it stars Lorna Valentino, Gina Alhar, uh, Anna Marin, and uh, one of my favorite actresses, uh, Sandy Andalong. And um, and my last film, Boy Habang Buhay, the, the, lead, the lead character's name is Sandy because it was a tribute to, to her. And um, it's the first Filipino film that did multi-characters as uh, did the, the, the multi-character uh, storytelling. So, uh, four Filipino UP students with different moralities. So that one was um, I love the dialogue, the scenes, the every part of it. Even if that you don't know where it's going, uh, it's it meant to go anywhere. So the fact that it was like very progressive also during its time, and it still. If you watch it, it still looks more advanced than than what we have today. Uh, it was remastered by ABS, I think. They remastered the the, the film along with her other film, like Carnal, is also remastered. So I, it's available. Um, I don't know if it's available, but it should be available uh, in platforms or in DVDs, I think. So that's one. Uh, the second one is I, I as a storyteller I love 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 structure so that's um that is one thing that I like I like to ground with when I do my own stories so the second film would be Red Violin um, it's a Canadian film uh, but it is shot uh, it stars Samuel L Jackson who has a very small role in it. So the yeah, hero, I know this. I know that film. Yeah. Okay. So the hero is the is the red violin. So who said that the the lead character has to be human? 
Yeah. The, the lead character here is a red violin, and you have three story threads. Um, the violin maker and how he created the violin, the violin's journey across time, and the present day descendants who want the violin in a auction. So that's a three story structure, three story line structure where Batman versus Superman didn't succeed in doing. That one is how to do it wrong. <laughs> how to do it extremely wrong. With dream sequences that don't make any sense or it's not part of the narrative. So that's and what happens thought. when producers oh write and take over. But Batman oh um, versus Superman. Or network executives take over. No, so um, I think that would be the second film, and um, I'm, I'm I'm supposed to say a Gong Li film would be my third my my third choice. Um, hmm. uh, Can I but, guess this Gong Li film? But I'm gonna say a Maggie Chung film. <laughs> what? Why yeah. though? Okay, fine. What's the film first before I react? Okay. Uh, which uh, with the Maggie Chung film? Yeah. Uh, the she it's not in the mood for love. It's not okay. Uh, what? It's not. It's not in the mood for love. It's called Comrades, almost a love story. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. But I am so surprised that because okay, I love Wong Kar Wai. In my opinion, he's one of the greatest Asian directors of all time. Uh, and for me, In the Mood for Love was is always in my top 10. Because the thing with me is the only two films that never change are my top two. But three to 10, they always shift places. Like one day I say it's this, the other day it's that. But I'm so surprised that you didn't choose In the Mood for Love. Okay. Well, it's definitely in the top 20. <laughs> and that's because it's very mood and tone, no? I would, if I if we're gonna talk about mood and tone, I think it would be one of the films on the top of my list. Okay, but um, th there's another Maggie Chung film which a lot of filmmakers try to do, but I've only seen one who has achieved it in a smaller scale. No, it's called the film is called Comrades, almost a love a love story. Okay. And um, it's a, I, I can't say that it's a romance because a romance, according to Mina Esguera, uh, who, who leads a community of romance writers, that you have to have a happy ending for it to be a romance. So it doesn't have a happy ending. Um, so it's almost a love story. And um, it's the love story between Maggie Chung and... I'm very bad with names the, and, and, and the guy. We follow the story. We follow the guy first. But, um, he comes from mainland China, goes to Hong Kong. So it's a Hong Kong film. Yeah. And um, Is it only Leong by any chance or it's not? No, no, no. It's, oh, it's, it's not. not. Um, I think you'll, we'll have to Google the name. <laughs> I'll but, Google um, it later. It's... Uh, it's how they try, how they survive, how they try to survive um, in in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong became like um, an, a, land, a a city of opportunity from uh, mainland uh, provinces where they came from. So they came to earn earn money, and that's why their love story was was 
was um, always connect. They were always connected, but but fate would always disconnect them. There would always be something in the way, and um, and that love story happened for decades. So it was following that that um, their love story, and it's a beautifully written, beautifully directed. Everything was good about it. Acting, the the, the production design that had visual language. That's a lot to say about um, a lot of films that, that that forget the visual language of even production design and how it can push the forest story forward. Or how it can add richness of meaning to 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 the scene. So that was is way harder to do than than in the mood for love because it's in the mood for love it's really mood and scene and the 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 arc is not that expansive i mean this is an expansive i mean expansive story so i'm not saying that because of that it's it's um it's a fault because the story is meant to be a secret that's why the end of in the mood for love been minus is um, it was a, a, a play on Midas's Binulong uh, Sab, you, know, you whisper in the hole. So, where a, where a shrub or a plant uh, sprouted. No? So, um, it is a small secret. It's a small film because it's really just in the mood. So, it's, in, it's just mood and tone. Um, the character development is just like a quick switch. You no, know? it's expanding the the desire and then quick switch. But the acting there was was beautiful. You see a lot of local filmmakers, commercial and indie, that you know use it mm -hmm. as pegs, and you can see it in their films. Yeah. Um. You can spot the pegs. You no, know? that's where where pegs are totally misused. But um. But we do pay homages to to the filmmakers we admire. So that's so that's the that's my third film. I would say it. There are so many Gong Li films that really inspired me to 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 write. Um, most of my films have female leads. Um, so all of the Gong Li films, like. Um, Raise the Red Lantern. Actually, that was my guess. I was gonna say, was the Gong Li film Raise the Red Lantern? Raise the Red Lantern. That was that's my favorite. Um, that's my favorite Gong Li film. That was my guess a while ago. I was like, I think Paul and I both like Raise the Red Lantern from Gong Li. But um, I'm I'm I only saw a um, you know that that one was the benefit of pirated DVDs. You know, it gave us access to all of these international films like. I saw um, to live, but it's in Chinese. So I, I, without any English translation, I was watching to live, which is also interesting, because it was also like thirty years of this couple, you no, know, and their struggle. How um, that one was also an interesting. I mean, that's how beautiful the film was. That even if I couldn't understand the language, I could follow the story. Um, another film that I really love that. That, um, of course, all of, a lot of the a lot of the Monica Bellucci films. I think she's one of the most beautiful faces on of, on cinema. Yes. Gong Li and um, Monica Bellucci. But um, there's an Iranian film that that competed in the Oscars and lost, and it should have won. 
uh, it lost Life is Beautiful, which is a very, very bad film. Well, it's a good Wait, film. I kind of like Life is Beautiful, though. Uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's 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 an Oscar winner, um, but uh, it com- one of its um, one of the nomi- nominees in that year for best foreign film is um, Oh shucks, I, I blank- I'm blanking out. It's um, Children of Heaven. So it's an Iranian film. Two kids, brother sister. Uh, the brother loses his sister's shoes and. Um, they have to find it because they're very poor. They can't afford a new pair of shoes. They don't want to trouble their parents. So, um, they. So what the brother does? He shares his shoes uh, with the sister. So the sister in the morning, the afternoon, it's the no, the brother in the morning, the afternoon, it's the sister going to school. With and he joins. They, he keeps running because he doesn't want to be late in school and doesn't want to make his sister late in school. So he becomes. He, he runs and runs and runs. And then there's a con- or, uh, uh, a marathon contest where in the first, the third prize, uh, the third prize would be a new pair of shoes. So he joins the contest and I will not spoil it for you, but it's, um, it's a very, very beautiful film. Very, very, uh, watch it and then watch Life is Beautiful and then tell me if, if you still think Life is Beautiful should be the winner, I think it's uh, it Life is Beautiful has a very beautiful message, but yeah. Because classic. like for me, um, I'm gonna tell you my top three, okay? Uh, okay. Because I'm the type of person that I'm a huge fan of Slice of Life. That's one. Uh, so you probably think I'm a very boring person already. Well, and second, I like. Two kinds of films. Um, like these are the kinds of films that if it's like this, there's a ha- chance that I'll enjoy it a lot. Well, technically three. So the first one is I like movies wherein the actors are the ones who really carry the film, right? I mean, the story can be as simple as possible, that's okay. But when the actors can really show you, you know, the emotion, um, how the character should feel and all these things. For me, that's why I would really love it. And that's why my favorite film of all time is Lost in Translation. Because Bill Murray, um, Scarlett Johansson, even uh, Giovanni Ribisi, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, they were all really great in the film. It's such a simple movie, right? It's just a a washed-up actor, a young newlywed who's not happy in her marriage because her husband forgets about her in Japan and all these things. They unform an unlikely friendship that actually becomes some sort of a love story. Very slice of life, right? I mean, did anything fantastic happen in the story? Not really. It was just all about how they feel. That's why Sofia Coppola is my favorite director because of that. And ever since I saw Lost in Translation when I was 11, I was like, it blew my mind. Then my second favorite film, wherein a lot of people probably are saying it aged badly or whatever, is Atonement, Joe Wright. Uh, Kira Knightley, James McAvoy with Shersha Ronan, who should have won Best Supporting Actress for me because that's the only time I hated an eight-year-old girl so badly in my life. Uh, but then again, the only fantastic film about the, the only fantastic thing that happened in the film was the lie and the war, but that's it, right? And the third film, and it changed from yesterday because if we spoke yesterday, I would have told you it was The Fountain by... Uh, Shoot, what's his name? The ex of Rachel Weiss, the director? Crap. 
but it's the Hugh Jackman Rachel Vice film, uh, which is very like not a lot of people like. But the third film I really love is Days of Heaven of Richard Gere. I'm not sure if you know that film. No. It's uh directed by Terrence Malick. It's about um it's like the U.S. 1880s something like that we're in. People become like farm helpers, seasonal. And why I love the film is it feels like a moving painting. Like the cinematography was excellent. The directing was excellent. And it's just like two hours of scenery. So I do sound like a very boring person, right? I mean, compared oh, no. to your list, which is super like... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because, you know, we, we like films or we like stories for different reasons. Um, and it's... it's um, the value of a film is really on what you what you give it, right? Because that's why art and literature is it's uh, the value is on the richness of of, of the text. You know? So we are the ones who who add the value. So how we value things is also a reflections of our values. The what do we appreciate? We appreciate the, the experience, the feeling of. I mean, I totally get it. Um, that's why. That's why we, we always approach uh, a piece of work, uh, whether it's a film or a comic book or an animation, uh, with different, uh, with differently from one another. You know? and, and we see different things, even if it's the same text. So I totally understand. That, uh, no. I'm thinking of Slice of Life. I'm, I'm trying to think of... Um, I'm trying... To, the only film that I can think of not than Slice of Life would be like something like Crash or... Or, I like um, yeah, that's another thing. I actually like Crash, or in a lot of people like were pissed Crash. that it beat um, Brokeback Mountain, right? For best picture. Um, there's a there's I'm 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 thinking of more of a TV series called um, Skins, the UK version, season yeah, one. I know Skins. Yeah, yeah. I, so I that one. That. I mean, two of the car, two of the heroes, uh, two of the actors there are part of Game of Thrones. So, so I say it is good to see them age, but um, yeah. But uh, the second and third episode of season one of Skins is like very, very, very well done. So that that's the memorable, um, the memorable episodes that that when it's a when I'm asked what what is a character driven um, recommendations for for character driven stories. I mean that one is short and sweet and. And very, very unexpected and, and well written. So, um, yeah, that would, I know, that would be. And I'm, I'm thinking, kasi, parang wala kung maisip na, na, na films that much. Actually, the Rotonda would be, it would be a good film to watch. Um, Rod Bryant is one of the under, appreciated directors and he won best director and best film i think for cinemalaya back in 2000 uh seven i think six 2006 so that one is one of the my my favorite um favorite cinemalaya films and uh, i was saying that there was only one local filmmaker that was able to pull off uh comrades in terms of storytelling structure and that Chris Martinez of 100, which uh, was um, part of, I think, 2007 or 8 of Cinemalaya. That one is hard to do, 
hard to achieve that level of storytelling wherein everything that you open, you close. Uh, very well written. Um, for me, it, 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 um, it's the best film of that batch for me. It's just that it's a middle-class story. So, of course, something Ahimala would win over a relation, even if a relation is harder to, to, to write. So for me, it's the story first, no. But um, if you, that year, that that year of Himala relation and morale and haplos. So it was like Ricky Lee versus Ricky Lee versus Ricky Lee versus Ricky Lee. The Orion. So those four films are. If you watch those four films, that's like um, very well, uh, very well made films. Well, as in ibang. Let's say when when I'm asked. Um, who are the filmmakers to admire, I would still go back to that period. I would still go back that that was more, that was a brave time in terms of storytelling and they were able to pull it off. Uh, the haplos might not be perfect, no? uh, but it is still fantastic. I mean, time 1981, 82, uh, said, it was after the year after batch 81 i think so i think that was um 1982 yung, uh, or 83 yung if batch 81 so 82 siya nanalo so 83 yeah. yung um yung year na yon uh that would be good to watch all of those four films they're all good so that's why uh, whether you think whether you disagree that Himalaya is so much better or 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 uh, or you agree that relation is harder to do so it's it's I mean we won we won that year we had so many good films yeah um we have habit of competing kasi with each other but it's really like the audience was the real winners of that time kasi and all amazing movies in one time yeah yeah so yeah so I think we're good with like the films, the film part. I think the audience and our Spotify users will um, listen to this tomorrow. They're like, I thought we're talking about Comic Cat and we had, <laughs> and we spoke about film. But yeah, so going now to you know Comic Cat, um, tell me first, like, what's the origin of Comic Cat? So I know that you know you, you mentioned that you know you started out you know in film, then you did advertising, then you decided to retire from advertising, and you put up Comic Cat. Uh, but why did you decide that, you know, you know what, I mean, it's like you decide, okay, I'm going to go make my own um, organization to help local comic book authors, um, artists, etc. Like, why? What was the reason behind it? Uh, well, I was, when I was in advertising, and I love I loved my work there. Uh, I had, it was hard, it was tough, but I, that's where I grew uh, the most. Um So I had to take a break from from filmmaking because the the, the film that when I did Manghuda, nalugi, nalugi kami dun. So um we had to pay back debt. Uh, and I went I wanted also to be a better writer and a better director and yeah, so that's why Direct Color recommended, you know, they're they're all in advertising and that's that's I would say true uh, to a certain degree. Um, I still think it's true. 
a lot of the best creatives are in are in advertising or worked in advertising. Um, so when I got promoted to from from um, I got promoted to associate creative director and I was moved to a to a different team. Uh, one of the art directors there was Tapay Pascual and she was the one who was into comics and as part of you know um getting to know you and um so i shared my films she shared her comics and that she did a thesis her thesis in up fine arts was Maktan 1521 which was later published by Bisprint and got a uh, national book award nomination and um we decided to make comics because we were so exhausted doing doing creative work for clients that we wanted to also do something for ourselves so it's like one is to feed the body the other is to feed the soul so at first because i'm a very serious and driven person so so she said okay let's do something that's um that's you know, um, no pressure, uh, something that, that that's fun because I'm not like a fun, fun person. So like, I'll oh, say a game. And then, so we did like a, a romantic comedy on, on I mean, every time we we're stressed at work, we would eat in Little Tokyo. Um, and, Which is um, the best place to eat in when you're stressed, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's this little Japanese grocery called Yamazaki. And yeah. we'd be there like for 196 pesos. We'd have like grilled salmon set or or the chicken katsu set. Right now, so it's like 230 or, or 240 now. But um, yeah, so we were eating there. I mean, it, it costs almost as much as a two-piece chicken ng Jollibee, right? So yeah. 196, yeah, you have your miso soup, you have your uh, your side salad and your your appetizers, and you had like a, a big bowl of rice and and um, either grilled salmon or or chinkatsu, right? So we dress eat there and then go back to work and finish. And then we sometimes we'd end up at 8 to 2 a.m. doing overtime. So that's when we decided to, you know, let's, let's do a comic book. Um, and um, she brought me to the, the local Comic Con, that's 2012. And I was amazed. I was amazed that there was a place wherein people were telling stories and there were other people who were buying it. And that was to me a magical place. And that's how I started into comics with that by so 2012, 2013 to 2014. So in the three years that um, we were making comics on the side after work or on weekends, um, we were we were doing pretty okay. We were doing well. That um that whatever we invested as we with the comics we made, we saved it up. We didn't like spend it on on Yamazaki. No. Um, <laughs> so we saved it up, and then when we had enough, we could do an offset print like a like a book, uh, and we had enough pages. So that was 2014, and then we go, and then I was like, you know, why why don't we level it up? Why don't we in bookstores? Why don't we, um, why don't we professionalize? You no, know? why don't we we 
And then that was like a push and pull. Now, why do we need to do it? We're happy to do it this way. So um, three things magically happened. And for once, there was a booth available in the Manila International Book Fair. And then uh, we went went to Philip Book, and they wanted to carry a comics, but it has to be books. So at that time, there was no Filipino publisher in in Philip Book. It was all 100% or maybe 90%, 95% um, foreign. Yeah. foreign. No? And this is the Philip Book, the PGC. Um, the big one. So, my favorite, my second favorite branch, by the way. <laughs> and then to go, the shipping line, which is doing really well, was um, also interested in carrying our comics and selling it in their stores. So now I go back to Tapay. Oh, Tapay, there are three opportunities. Um, these are, are very rare opportunities to open up. And that one kind of convinced the group to professionalize, and that's when we joined the Manila International Book Fair, where we promoted um, Filipino comics and, and Comic-Con, and um, we joined other events. There were events that popped up. We met Lazada back then, so we were one of the first com books in, in Lazada at that time. And that's how, you know, things are, opportunities are opening up. So when that happens, you know that it's meant for you. So. A few months after, um, there was the following year, no, in, in 2015, there was uh, something happened with the venue of uh, of Comic Con, and they weren't able to to book the venue, so there was no summer Comic Con. And one of the organizers went up to me and asked, "Can you put up an event because of the of the things that are happening, that the opportunities that were being presented during that time to me and to my group, not with Tepai." So yeah, uh, I was asked, let's uh, put up a, a band-aid event, no? Because um, so that comic creators would have a space during that summer. And I went back and said, if we're gonna do something, let's do something legit. Uh, from we from the market study that we are doing, that is when our markets were. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> One second. Sure, no worries. <laughs> By the way, to our viewers, if you have any questions for Paolo Harris, uh, just comment them down below. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Paolo. Sure, no worries. But yeah, so guys, uh, before we continue, I forgot to thank our sponsors. So thank you to Swagat Indian Cuisine, to The Modern Fashionista, and to Derm Nature. All right, so I think... Uh, you know, so we have that right now. Uh, really great sponsors. They've been with us for quite some time, especially Swagats in season one. So yeah, Paolo, please uh, go ahead. So where where was I? Sorry. <laughs> so you're talking about um, the Band-Aid event because of what happened, you know. In, so, yeah. That was a time when there was um, Art in the Park was doing really well. And there was the BGC Art Park. There was the Escolta market there was the white i love space. the escolta one yeah yeah uh, so that time in, in the escolta one it was really latagan like yeah cement it, it, yeah it's just on the some of them are don't even have tables yeah. right they just put their things on the floor that's why i loved it because we uh, have so, these indie people who sell let's say cards stickers even tote bags sometimes right so so a lot of these opportunities opened up when we professionalized 
no that was one of the big factors kasi like MIBF you needed a receipt you needed uh even with to go and fully book so that's one of the reasons no so like the trend is this it's it's in art markets so we can also if if the job of of um comic con is to be the home of comiqueros so everything that comic has is doing so that it doesn't it doesn't replicate or compete is we position it as an art market to grow to grow the to grow the creators to grow the readers to grow the markets because that's always the complaints or the wishes of creators is you know we need to find more readers we're talking to the same people that we that we do appreciate uh, the readers that we have but it's all about growing the market no so that became the that became the goal of comicet so it's like comics art market so and then from that name um the mascot Uh, is Comet, who is a Comet, a, a Comet cat. So the cat yeah. from the Comet, the cat, and that's how we started. And then everything is all about um, being seen. So the choice of venue had to be in a very visible place. It was easily accessible. There was no grabber Uber back then in 2015. So yeah. it was uh, it should be along Edza. So that's where we found Centrist Elements, uh, which was our home. It, it still is our home. And also, we have most of our major events in Centrist Elements. And it's just by the uh, MRT station of Quezon Lab. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and their only available date was on April 5, Easter Sunday. So despite it being a, a holiday, um, there were 100 creators that Uh, trusted or that that agreed to to try us out and um around a thousand people came it was a fun event because we gave away free ice cream from nestle we gave uh far from my former client clients in in the ad agency you know, in publicists and then we had free pens from marvi ochida so we we're giving away a lot of free stuff and um and we didn't lose money so we didn't earn money but we didn't lose money so and then so it was still encouraging so what we did after uh we we had one another one in october of that same year and um to grow to grow the creators we had a workshop which became an annual comic creators workshop and uh we held it in we held it in fully booked because our books were in fully booked so we had a free venue Or the, the book first, BGC, um yeah, basement, BGC. I assume. The fifth, fourth floor. The one ah, that one. Yeah, the, the, a, okay. the highest. So, I think that's the highest floor, right? Where, where they still the sell one, stuff. One, one below. Um, one below, okay. In the floor of Comic Odyssey before. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we had five years there, five batches of the comic book creators workshop so every year we had like 20 to 30 creators that were our students that were making their comic books so it's always the goal of comic Ed, which is to grow creators grow markets grow grow the books so that's how we started uh, by october we did a two-day event and then after uh, in the next year we put up the comic at awards to promote the the best comics in the floor 
so that it would help encourage readers to try them out. And um, by 2017, we um, we grew very big uh, from one hall to two halls. So we were, we we occupied both halls, and from the 100 critters and 1,000 attendees, it became like 190 tables. So that's around 380 creators and around 6,000 attendees. Uh, and but, but 2017, that was around mga 5,000 attendees. Now, so by 2017, we with excess funds, uh, we were able to do more. Now, whenever we do more, we're able to do more. So we started to publish. Uh, we published our first anthology. It's called Comics Cum Laude. And it yes, featured... with the, the um, KKK looking guy, right? The Katipaner looking guy. Yeah, yeah. So that book... Yeah, I um, bought that one, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so but that I've book, actually Dr. bought almost all the community ones except for the LGBT one. Oh. I don't own that. And of course, you have the anthology one, the 2017 to 2021, right? Yeah. With the uh, well, super uh, Wonder Woman looking lady. Yeah, we're almost sold out with the 2017 one. I think it's the last four or five pieces. But the um, the comics from Laude... Um, the reason why we we published that one because it documents the shift in storytelling in yeah. in our uh, in our in, among the comics creators because um, it became more slice of life. It became more personal. Uh, there were some before, but it, there were more creators that were talking about their own personal stories. There was more suddenly was more LGBT creators, LGBT stories, and female creators. So before the the low um, most of the creators would be 90, 95% male. But when Comic uh came out, there was more um more female creators. So that's why if you look at it it documents that time. And the uh the first Comic at Awards were all student all winners were students, and that wasn't intentional. Mitch Cervantes, who won Best Writer and Best Comics, entered in the professional category or in the senior category or non-student category. And um, when she won, that's when we only found out that she's, she was still studying animation in, in CSB. And uh, the best student comics was um, the, the creators of that cover of that Catupunero. Uh, they're the creators of Aguila. And um, also from CSB, and one of the I like judges. I regular story, by the way. I like that. Yeah, one. they stopped it. Eh, pero sayang, sana they sayang, continue, but, but the story was good. But my other favorite story, sorry, because I have to say sure. now, um, from Comicet, I, I bought several ones, but I love the community ones just because different stories, different art styles. But my favorite story is from the Catipanera one. I forget the title and I don't have it with me right now to, to grab it and look for it. But it's about the, the the mother, I think, who has Alzheimer's. So it, it's not the, sorry. No, mother has Alzheimer's. Sorry. Uh, uh, um uh it's done by one of our students. Of, yeah, so there's like a there's the, there's like a Lola and a Lola. And I think it's the Lola has Alzheimer's because she talks to her husband. And sorry, I can't remember the names yeah. of the characters. But let's Things just name the remember. girl Jill, for example. Right? And she's like, 
sana si Jill then she still thinks Jill is still a college student but when she comes she has a husband and two kids I yeah. really like that story because like what you mentioned slice of life that's one to the artwork was so nice minimalist and the story was just really I just really like that one from that yeah. one I like Aguila and that one those were my two favorite ones the, well, but the, nice. it's a pity that you stopped the Aguila one because that one was I thought that had a lot of potential when I read it. I was like, I was thinking to myself, like, gosh, I hope there's a continuation for this in my head. I think they have three chapters done. So, Sayan, so I said they were planning to compile up to chapter four, but you know, creators fall in and fall out, just like filmmakers. It's uh yeah, it's uh it's it's on it's passion driven. Eh? So once you well, life can throw you in a loop and you fall out or it, you lose uh, the drive. So a lot of creators, you know, just fall in, fall out, um, fall back in when, when they when they want to uh, go back to it. But um, yeah, so um, the, Aguila, the Aguila, how it won was... Um, one of the judges of the Comic at Awards was Arnold Are, and then he recommended um, for to nominate the Aguila creators as the best illustrator for that for that year. And the judges agreed and chose um, Aguila for best best illustrator. And that's why we, all of the winners for the first Comic at Awards were all students. So to document that, and uh, I think the first two. First three comic at awards uh, winners in the best student categories, and the and some are finalists and and winners. No, um, that's the ten stories that are published there to document that time because we knew that things were changing and that this was the we wanted to document the first uh, the, the the shift or change, and then. The second comic at of that that's Feb. We released that in Feb comic at the comics allowed. By October, excuse me. By October, um, at that time, uh, when we give post-event surveys, they would go. Uh, we wish that there were more attendees. So, because there are around nine, 190 tables times three creators per table, no? all fighting for the uh, 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 the sales of um of our attendees. So at that time. Parang kulang pa, kulang pa yung 5,000 attendees. So we were thinking, how could we, I know at that, that time, I think it was, I don't know if it was 5,000, but I think it was 2017, hindi pa. Sige, nasa, nasa 4,000 pa lang or, or something. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, so we were thinking of how to do we, how do we, grow the attendees no, for a, a comic at so and at that time because half of the floor was art art market uh, art, uh most of the people who were earning were selling stickers and prints and postcards because it's impulse purchasing purchasing it when you go to a comic at uh, or an art market it's really by impulse I, I like that i'll buy that no so a, uh, a lot of a lot of attendees also found it intimidating to buy a comic book because even if it's 50 pesos or 100, 150 pesos, I don't know what it's all about. Is it worth my money? No. So 
given all of that information, how do we grow more attendees? How do we encourage more people to start reading comics? And at that time also, the behavior of the exhibitors in our event was like, I'll attend Comicet and then I don't really care about the event. I'm just here to sell and that's it. <clears throat> Not all, but uh, somewhere like that. No? So we wanted to also foster a more, and we knew that the success of Comicet's events was always in the, in the exhibitors as well. The quality of their work and, and also, I mean, we can't do it alone. The Comicet is just five people doing doing uh, professional event org <laughs> uh, as professional event organizers no so and and we weren't we weren't trained in events we were creators that wanted to to create uh, more spaces for for creators to sell their work right so so that's when we started to say okay comic at is not just a, an event we're a community and that's when when the anthology came up, the idea to create an anthology called Community that features the creators uh, in in the community. So the first book, uh, the first anthology was like um, featured, I think, about 23, 24 creators um, who started in the 90s, some started in the 90s, some in, in 2000, 2010, some started in comic and there were some that were in digital and not available in, in, in print. So we wanted to get like a, a good representation. And then that's how Comicet started to call itself the, uh, a community. And the exhibitors started to behave like a community that we care for each other. <clears throat> it was amazing to see that, um, to see that happen also. And, um, so I just did the math. We did the math and we computed, okay, how much if we, we publish that? And then we print around 3,000 copies and then give away 2,000 for free. And, oh, then, wow. okay. and then our, our tickets was like 50 pesos before. That was pre-20, uh, like Feb, from yeah. 2022. Feb 2017, our tickets was like 50 pesos. So um, we asked, do you mind if we add another 50? Nobody minded. So when we costed out the how much the printing would be for 3,000 copies and, and, um, and also giving an honorarium uh, to all of the 23 or the, the, all, of the, uh, all of the creators no, who are part of the anthology so it it amounted to around 55 60 pesos so that was what we added or that's what when we charged 100 pesos so it's like it became a freebie so the first 2000 got a free copy of community and then the rest of the books we would sell it for for um 200 pesos 250 pesos to earn back the cost also so that's how Comicet was earning through ticket sales and through the books that we were publishing. And then that grew from 4,000, 5,000 to 6,000. Uh, actually, I know that time, that was mga 3,000. Eh. 3,000 attendees 2017. That's when we 5,000 in 2018. So that helped. No? That, that, um, we knew that the secret to 
a more prosperous event is that you have to give in order to receive. So we kept on, you know, giving, um, giving in, uh, try to give more to the creators, to the attendees. And then that's how, you know, we kind of grew. And then the last event, the last major event that we had was in Feb 8 and 9 in last year. Uh, the day after, the day after Singapore declared an orange alert in, uh, due to COVID. So that was Feb 8 and 9. We were first time in Mega Mall and there were around 207, 200, almost 289 tables times three. So times three creators. So that's around 800, 800 um, creators, creatives, and, um, and 9,000 people supported the event. So that one was also, also like, we're, we're, we're always grateful and appreciative because that was like, to go to, to exhibit in Mega Mall, that was an expensive. That's that, very that expensive, I'm sure, yeah. Expensive to do. They're the only venue that charges for ingress. So <laughs> they charge for everything. So um, that's why even that, I, yeah. So okay. we, yeah, I think my 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 fellow comic at board members will kill me for saying that because that's not something that you say out loud. But um, it was we were um, we were it was an uphill climb to do well in that event. Yeah. <clears throat> so ang inisip na lang namin, oh, sige, you charge, you keep on raising raising your prices based on the agreed price. You keep you raised it twice. You added, you added ingress, an ingress fee. Um, you only gave us a couple of months to promote it because you kept on raising your price. And we were caught uh, by like stating that this is the amount of the, of our tables. You know? So it was an uphill battle, but there was, there was still a line up to 5.30 in the afternoon just to go inside. So that one, the, that's why the, the admin of, of SM Megamall is very surprised. Even they went inside to see what, what, why were so many people going to our event. And after that, they were asking us, and they still keep on asking us when we would go back. Um, so Sabina, we're not going to... We're not go going to go back until it's safe. <laughs> so, and other reasons. Also. Oh, because like, <laughs> I mean that that one was just super expensive. But at least we didn't. At least we didn't lose money. No? So, um, so because it was a break even event events, as well, you, or did you earn a bit from it? Uh, we well because of the tickets, yes. But again, that with that one allowed us to also. Um, publish more so we had we had with our savings that's when we started to to actively and aggressively publish you know? so we we launched the philippine so again that's the next phase you no know? so we put up our first office in publisho and this is the we just moved here last month you no know? but we put up our a bookstore because you don't find comics in in bookstores there's just a very few very few titles that are published by Two, three publishers yeah um, 
So we put up the Secret HQ bookstore because we called it Secret HQ because most of the projects that we do, um, we, we really keep quiet about it, and we only know we only announce it when we're confident that it's going to push through. <clears throat> That's why we call it Secret HQ because all of our projects are are really kept under wraps until it's not like some because like to talk about their projects at the beginning. Come here, we talk about the projects when it's like three-fourths along the way um, just to make yes. sure that nobody can say something to stop us because you know when you uh it's one of the the secrets to success is you keep quiet <laughs> so yeah. so we keep i agree with that yeah so we um so that that became our bookstore so comic at secret hq and we had all of the books from the publishers and the and the, the indie creators and when covid happened um we we've innovated by pivoting online so now we had instead of relying on national bookstore fully booked um we have we have shopee accounts and lazada accounts and we have straight access to readers nationwide so last year was very very difficult but this year it paid off you know all of the all of the hard work uh that we've been doing has paid off so we have uh readers from up north as uh, far as lawag and down south as tawi-tawi and that gives them access to filipino comics so that was one of the things that we did and when one of our favorite publishers visprint closed shop it wasn't because of financial it was because the owners the original owners um wanted to retire and it was a second generation that were the publishers so they put up uh from Vispen to Avenida so they still they're still publishing so we felt that there was a gap left uh left with that absence and that's when we started to decide to actively publish so the goal now was um we were able to grow the market so we expanded from centris to and uh from our, our our events in Centris, the creators of uh, uh, one of the creators of Things to Remember, the the one about the Alzheimer's, has a bookstore slash restaurant called Buku Buku Cafe in SM South Mall. So they have um, they have once a year they're they're given a space in the middle of um, of SM South Mall, and that became Comic at South. And they had the branch in Cavite, and then that became Comic at Cavite. So we were growing, growing um, other markets. Uh, we met, we made friends with Cebu Lit Fest, and that became Comic at Cebu. So we were expanding uh, markets as well. And um, when we go back to the creators, and they would go, "We're not, we're not, um, we're not selling enough comics. So we wish there were more readers." And that became the next challenge because as you grow the community, you know, we're able to do that to grow grow more creators. The bigger challenge is to sustain it. So how do you do that? How do you grow? How do you grow readers? And where are they? You no, know, because fully booked is is a huge success, but those are Filipinos who read foreign books. So it's um, like film. Uh, nobody, very few people wanted to watch Filipino films. Pre-Cinemalaya, Cinema One, right? So 
how did the film industry grow? Uh, how did the how did the films grow? Uh, you gave it into the hands of uh, of the filmmakers, and then they there was a festival called Cinema Laya, Cinema Wine, Cinema Nila. That was the three festivals in 2005-6. And, um, and some of the films made it abroad to other international festivals. And then when they came back here, that's when people started to, re to watch them. So you wanted to have that same Cinemalaya effect no, in, in comics. And that's where we thought of the Philippine International Comics Festival, where we were, would select uh, comics pitches. So we did a call for entries. And then we'd select an official selection of 10 comic books, comics pitches, and then um, publish them and launch them in the festival. No? So that's how it started. And we found our first 10. Half of them are published because of COVID. It affected, some are affected personally, uh, health, family, uh, finances. So that's when we figured out that, okay, if you can make a film in a year, maybe we need more time for comics because it's not a source of income either but um it's just it just takes longer to do so that's why we extended that and um and we thought of two years no it takes two years so we did the second batch uh learning from the first batch that we uh we have them go through a creator's lab which is a six-day workshop you know where it fosters a support system of the entire batch, and um, and we do get to to develop the work with them, and also the parts of a pitch packet. No, uh, we get to develop their skills in 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 the experience of also creating or or pitch packets for their work, so that they can also pitch to producers or publishers outside, because that's that's what makes it international, right? So. Uh, after the six-day creators lab, um, then we just have one-on-one -on -one meetings, developmental meetings, to follow through on the development of their work and then publish them uh, in time for the festival. So the next festival is uh, September 2022, wherein the, the second batch will hopefully be done, and the rest of the first batch hopefully will be done by, by September. And then... Um, we we just finished we're just finishing the third batch of the official selection for 2023 this weekend so this saturday sunday that's going to be batch 3 and um and hopefully it will it will go to other international comics festivals and grow the interest locally so that's that's the goal of that so i think that's the three the three main projects that we do so the comic at events uh the bookstore and and uh publishing in the festival so actually i didn't know that you guys were the the philippine international comic one because when i would i think this was during september when i would purchase online uh so i bought sumpa in september and we'll discuss that a bit later if that's okay uh, I actually asked my girlfriend. That's how she came here earlier. I said, "Can you please get my Sumpa coffee because I need to. I need it." Uh, you guys snuck in like this small ticket, which unfortunately I'm not sure where I bought them. Where it has like a QR code where I could register. Yeah, the uh, yeah. Obelisk one. Remember, um, on the Obelisk, like it was scheduled. Uh, 
I didn't know you guys were the same people handling that. I just thought it was a separate entity. No, but yeah, um, I agree with you that because here's the thing, and I'm not sure if you're allowed to agree with me or not, but if you are, it's it's okay. Um, in terms of like bookstores in the Philippines, um, there used to be three, right? National, Fully Book, and Power Books. Then eventually National bought Power Books, so just being Power Books and Fully Book. National is good at times in finding books because at time because I think the general consensus of national is it's more of school supplies than a bookstore, which is so ironic because it's called national bookstore, but that's where you get your school supplies, right? And fully book for me growing up was like a safe haven. That's why my favorite branch is Green Hills because I live in Green Hills. And second one is BGC because it's like four or five or six floors, right? Of mostly just books. And uh, personally, I love reading books. Like I'm a huge bookworm. And there came a time wherein I discovered Alan Moore, who did Watchmen, right? Uh, v for Vendetta, Watchmen, The Lost Girls, Birth of Call, which is one of my favorite works of his. I'd say that's my favorite work of his, then second is Watchmen. And, you know, because of reading Alan Moore, I decided to branch out. I read others, but I personally couldn't find the same satisfaction that I got with Alan Moore. Don't get me wrong. Neil Gaiman is great. I love Mirror Mask. I love Coraline. Coraline, I love that. But then I felt that the others just weren't as good as them, especially like Alan Moore. And one day, this is back in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, in Fully Book Greenhouse, when you go to the second floor, that's where the comic book section is or the graphic novel section. They have like this, um, maybe one to two bookshelves with you know filipino graphic novels and such and that's where i discovered rob cham who i was so happy to have here in iglap i read um light because i was like what is this small book and i was like light by rob cham and i looked at the back um it gave a good story then i so, saw you know i'm the type that i really you know the saying don't judge a book by its cover but then I judge this one by its cover in the sense that this looks really good. I'm sure it has a lot of good um, dialogue, right? So I bought it. I went home and I opened it. I was like, wait. Then I went through all the pages. Like, where's the dialogue here? Then I, when I looked at it again, it said it wasn't a, it was a silent book. And I was like, okay. So I read, I, I read it. I don't really know if you call it reading if it's a silent book, right? But let's just assume it's called reading. And I fell in love with it. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I told this to Rob. I, I, I loved Light. Then I decided to buy Lost. And Light, I gave it a 5 out of 5 on my Goodreads. Then Lost, the first time I read it, I was like, what the hell happened here? <laughs> it's like you had the perfect one, then you had Lost. So Light, I read it around, read it around uh, 25 times. Lost, I read it 40 times. And at the 40th time, that's from... A three out of five, I finally gave it a four out of five just because I kind of understood where he was coming from. And that's where I fell in love with Filipino comics. But like what you mentioned, um, it's very limiting. Then when I had Rob here, he mentioned Comic Ed uh, and such, right? Then when he mentioned Comic Ed, I was like, okay. Then I went to your Lazada and your Shopee. And that's where I bought all the communities because you guys had crazy deals last 9-9. Like really crazy deals yeah. last night. Like I was like, those are crazy deals. Yeah. We we don't go on sale, but 
um, our friends from the National Book Development Board, they helped the publishers and funded that, subsidized that the, the discount. discount. Yeah. yeah. So, so that one was crazy because we gave a lot of books that um, that were, especially the expensive ones. The, the we made it crazy cheap. I, I remember buying um, and, and Community in 2018 for like 60 yeah. bucks or 80 bucks. Yeah. We, we don't give... We don't go on sale because we don't want to devalue the books. Yeah. So it's a marketing, it's a marketing sales um, strategy. You know, it's always a sales sales strategy to give discounts. But you know, it's like the books aren't expensive. They're usually two hundred to three hundred if it's black and white. Unless it's a very thick book, it's then it goes up. Yeah. You know? um, but the fully colored ones is like five hundred, six hundred. I think the most expensive book is Little Wolf. It's six sixty, unless it's yeah. hard. So we don't. It's expensive to print here in the Philippines. It and, really is. Uh, we're more expensive than Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, even South Korea. If you print there and have it shipped here, I'm sure. Well, not sure. It comes out cheaper. Not sure. It's gonna be cheaper than printing here. So it's mainly because we we import our paper. Um, the ink, I assume, as well. Yeah, it's very expensive, but um, but uh, that's once you go on discount, and then it it just, I mean, the authors earn less, the publishers earn less, and how many readers do we really have? It's really not a lot. No, of course we we do value the readers that we have, but that's why we're trying to grow the readers. We're going yeah. to grow more readers. So once you once you go on a discount, it devalues the item. And then the perception yeah. of that item is, oh, kaya niyo mag-discount. So it, the real value of that is the discounted price. So nobody sure. will believe you when you now go, okay, my book is 300 No, I'll just wait for the discount where it's 150 or 130 So it's yeah. a lose-lose for everyone because the publisher earns less, the author earns less, and then... Well, well the it's more because winners are more of your, your own organization, right? I mean, if you're backed up by, let's say, a conglomerate, easy to do that. No, yeah. but I guess um, it was perfect timing on my sense, uh, on my side, sorry, because I had Rob, he mentioned you guys, when I went to your store in Lazada, I remember that. Uh, I was like, oh, there's so many discounts here. You know what? Give, give it a go. I fell in love with community. Uh, I love Sumpa. I really, really love Sumpa. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually here. <laughs> so to, to our viewers, not our Spotify listeners, I'm sorry, you won't be able to see this, but I do have my copy here. Uh, so fun fact about me, as a reader, when I was a kid, I used to spend a lot of my bookmarks, right? Because I would read books. But I have this really strange... Um, and actually, sorry, give me one second. I have one more that I purchased from your shop in recent but I still have to read. It's called The Dead Heart by Jerry. Oh, yeah. But I bought this one recently from the Shopee store. Uh, but anyway, I'll probably get to reading this in a bit. So anyway, so I was able to read it. I, I fell in love with it. And I thank Rob Cham a lot for, for, you know, for guesting and mentioning Comic It because I felt that when I would go to Fully Book, and, it, and this is not, I'm not trying to criticize Fully Book or anything. Right? It's just that of course, for certain businesses, you have like a certain amount of space that you have, right? So, you know, no criticism there. It's just that for me, I was just so, I'm just so glad that Comic 
existed. And when I spoke to Landam, you know, our mutual here, who also guested in Inglap, uh, you know, I'm glad that we're able to have this because actually the thing is, I know a lot of people who want to have like a new, like a new source of art or a new source of wisdom or whatever you want to call it, right? And, you know, Comic Cat is just perfect because like, you know, you have your communities, then recently I re- I, I I read the uh I forgot the title of it, but I just found it such a very laughable book because um it's the they're like three kikiams, I think. Like one's a kikiam, one's a fishbowl. What's what's the title of that one? Wari kikiam. Yeah, and it's just so green, like it's it's really funny yeah, because I bought the cool. second one. By accident, I thought it was the first book, but it was the second book apparently. And they were like in a a beer house. And it's just so funny because they're like kikiams, and then they're yeah. talking to, to normal sized people. <laughs> then I also got Tamud. I think twenty seven was that Tamud twenty seventeen or modern times, yeah, yeah, the modern times one. I bought both. I'm not. I forgot what years those were. And you know, just showed the ingenuity and the the artistry and the, the talent of local authors, right? And you guys also carry um, Tresse, which is very mainstream. Uh, then you also have Rob, who is, you know, semi-mainstream. I really love Rob's work. Actually, he even told me that he was supposed to have a, a different... Uh, because, you know, Lost and, uh, Lost and Light are very small, right? Then he told me that he was going to have something this big because the characters would be like this big instead. But then, you know, for, for you guys, you also have um Tarantadon Calbo, uh yeah. as well, who's a genius, by the way. I love him, especially nowadays. Uh, actually, I've loved him since 2019 because slice of life, right? Office stuff, uh, when you go to the Sari Sari store. I think you can really see why I, I want to talk about slice of life for a while. Um, but yeah. But I want to go to you now, uh, Paolo, because here in Sumpa and, you know, for our viewers, I really hope you go to um, Comic at Lazada or Comic at Shopee and do get a copy of um, Sumpa because this is, this is a really fun read. Uh, and I love how in this part, so I'll just show them uh, here. In the last part, when you did about the author's part, you made yourself a cat, like a cat hybrid, and the other person was a like a dog, so a German Shepherd, and you're a cat. So for Sumpa, though, I'm I'm just so curious, and I really want to talk about this for a bit. It kind of reminds me. I mean, I wouldn't really say it's like Tresse in that sense because they're too different, but this is somewhat of like a superhero um story. Right, in the sense that he's like half, um, he's half, uh, sorry, why don't you tell us like, yeah, so okay. why don't you tell us about Kumpa? Because actually when I read this, uh, I'm not very familiar with Filipino folklore, right? Uh, in yep. terms of like the different gods and uh, Bathala and all these things. But why don't you tell us a bit about like the background of Sumpa and yeah, go ahead. Okay, so um, I, I really love like from the films to the comics, I really love more on supernatural, uh, supernatural, uh, fantastic, and um, mythology 
um, that that's my jam. That's that's the stories that I like to tell. So when I was studying Philippine studies, taking masteral units in Philippine studies, that's when you know I may I took it because I needed to learn more about Filipino culture because I grew up in an English speaking household with with English in, in an English speaking school. So I my journey was to learn more about my culture, learning more about Filipino culture. So that's when, you know, I was I was studying and when I realized that, you know, a lot of our stories are were written by the colonizers and it just continued. So so a lot of our stories are recreated. A lot of our stories are distorted or revised. So I just so I just wanted to create my own. Um, and I'm a Filipino. I, I can talk about my culture and it can it can be something that I can recreate my, myself. So I created um, based on um, on actual mythology, I created my own. Um, so there's a Filipino pre-colonial god called Aliu. And um, of course, it's hard to translate that in English because it could mean amusement, but it could be like fancy, you fancy this. Yeah. So yung naaliw. So I'm I'm also fond of dual um, double meaning. So like even sumpa as curse could mean promise. So uh, like even buhay habang buhay, you could read it as buhay habang buhay. So to live while you still have life, or how to live for the that your life for the rest of your life. So that's why. I really love this this double play play uh, on on words and ideas. So, whenever Aliu loses control, he turns into Baliu. So, the development of his character is more like if he gets really angry and loses his temper, he turns into Baliu. Baliu, yeah. Uh, it, it's also applicable to if he gets really horny, <laughs> he turns into Baliu. Because the way it's mm -hmm. like it's like you you lose control. So, yeah. um. That's a, that's that was one of the one of the ideas that I know it's 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 like a cultural god, and um, and it comes from the idea that you know there's so many things that it feels so many bad things are that have happened and are happening in the Philippines that it feels that like we're cursed, and um, and how do you undo curses then? Curses are the opposite of, of blessings, no, or the yeah. opposite of prayers. So when you when you turn a prayer into with with evil intentions, it becomes a curse. So that's where the idea of of somebody who was cursed to to undo curses. So that's that's the idea of the, of uh, the character Sumpa, who is half human and half uh, elemental. So. Uh, and that's and and his sidekick is Elio is a pre-colonial god who tries to protect him because yeah. uh because these um because Simpa is the one who's meant to undo curses uh in not just in town but in uh, in his hometown but also in in for the rest of the country parang yung so uh so that's that's how it started um Aliyu is also part of the a bit of of 
another comic book which which I've written, which is Strange Natives. So he's one of the Strange Natives. Yes, actually, I want to talk about that one after, so. <laughs> okay. because I oh. love the um, the old woman one. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, so that's how it started. That's how it started. Um, it's illustrated by by the fantastic Brent Sabas, who. When we start, we, we also uh, were teammates in in the advertising agency that that we were working with uh, in, and um, he wanted to make a comic book, and then I, and then so that's how it started, and then he it exhausted him. <laughs> so man, because just, honestly, this, this uh, is you, I'm sorry, <laughs> are awesome. Just, the the line art, the the artwork. Uh, the, yeah, the, this, this one alone, sorry, like if I can show, like the one here, you didn't need to put anything on the freaking cover page, right? Like in this part, but this is beautiful and that's how I really enjoyed it. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, when I bought it, I was like, what the hell is this about? All right, you have three men, uh, a bald guy, a guy with a hat that I have, the fisherman's hat, and a guy with messy hair. And I was wondering, what is this about? But when you look at the art, like what you mentioned, this probably really made him tired because it's beautiful. Yeah, like, that's like why. That's why you said no. You know, Paul. I think I just want to do like art, uh, paintings, or illustrations. <laughs> but I don't want to do. I can do children's books, but nothing as expansive as so as, um, as 70, 90 pages because it really takes like a toll on you physically. Yeah, like because this one, this part when you have the the bird with the faces, then the the souls over here, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yep the um, the 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 graphic novel of Sumpa is um it really is about well undoing curses and fulfilling the fulfilling promises so when you make a when you make a promise and you don't fulfill it it also turns into a, a curse an unfulfilled yeah. promise so yeah but which is yeah, like here uh, and that's how that's how the philippines for me is it's like an unfulfilled promise of its own potential uh leaders right. misuse funds i mean that's so magically real that yeah um, we forget we forget our past and that even our own historical past is not even accurate what can history yeah, really it's accurate not, begin with, it's but not that well yeah so yeah so that's you, how, that, you do have that line what you mentioned you, you said here in the last page always keep your promises yeah. in this part right oh, okay, in this part sorry mirror image but yeah, no, sorry, I, I I don't want to sound like I'm telling you that it's perfect. It's just that you know I enjoyed Sumpa a lot. Uh oh, just because of our, the, the, the the story, everything about it, because it is like it is like an ode to Philippine culture, right? Like what you yeah. mentioned. Um unfortunately when I was studying because I'm a huge history lover, right, in terms of you know, classes in high school, grade school. It always pissed me off that when I would open my history book for Philippine history, it always started that Magellan discovered or Magellan, you know, visited the Philippines and blah, 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 blah. It's like, 
I don't think Magellan is the reason why the Philippines is here. We must have had like legitimately. Yeah. I'm sure there was a datu puti. I'm sure there was like a datu whatever or whatever. The babaylans, everything. I want to know more, right? And that's why I love Sumpa a lot just because it has that mixture. Um, Did you same. know that there's an animation? As, uh, I think it's Spanish animation, but or it's a... Oh, uh, is it the Magellan one? Yeah, the one that shows the uh, how he... Exactly that, how Magellan discovered the Philippines and how Philippines... Is the Filipinos are like evil and and that the women adore you know so it's like it's like uh, over it's like oh, rewriting a historical. Uh, I, I mean, well, we do have uh, have a candidate for president who loves doing that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. no. But yeah, no. I was really pissed off about that. I mean, look, you're Harris, I'm an Agos. We have Spanish lineage, right? Uh, but we are Filipinos, and for me, it's like let's let let the truth come out, right? Whether Magellan was a good person or not, bring out the facts, you know, show who we really was. Like how Christopher Columbus, um, I think since last year, a lot of Americans were quote unquote canceling him, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, just show the facts, show the truth. I mean, Filipinos see these foreigners coming in with swords, claiming that certain things are theirs, right? Of course, they will fight back. Because it's like, yo, this is my homeland. Well, why are you claiming that this is yours and stuff? And I was so pissed about that movie because it's like, why are you making Magellan into a hero and making you know native Filipinos look like barbarians? That's not the truth. Because you know, when you look at the truth, you have to look at it in a factual, neutral basis, like what you were doing a while ago, right? When you were talking about MMFF and all these things. It's important to state facts and not feelings. But I mean, let's not get into that. We're gonna have like a whole long yes, um, sir, sure. discussion. So, this is the this is the other work of yours that I really enjoy. Excuse me, really enjoyed. It's called "Strange Natives: The Forgotten Memories of a Forgetful Old Woman." I really enjoyed this one a lot, just because it has that mixture of you know Filipino life during the Spanish era in a way. You know, they're wearing the the Maria Clara dresses and whatnot. Then the Japanese occupation happened. Uh, with that one, unfortunately, I, I don't have my copy right beside me. But with that one, what inspired you to make that one? Because that one, in my opinion, was a very um, brave work to do. Because you know, with the whole, um, you know, when Japan invaded us, right? And until now, the Japanese are very kind to us because they're trying to make up for what happened, you know, since of the past. But what inspired you to to make that story? Because that's not a very popular story to make. I mean, Sopa is fun because it has Filipino folklore. It has action and stuff. This one felt like a poem to me in that sense, right? Where it was like a poem where it was talking about the person's life, um, what happened during the Japanese period, and how they are now. So what was your inspiration for that one? Um, a lot of the... I mentioned earlier that I was studying Philippine studies. Um, yeah, I was taking master's units in Philippine studies, and I just fell in love with with um, with what I was learning from uh, Philippine studies is also known as Filipinologia, and that means Filipino culture from the eyes of Filipinos. Yeah, so, <clears throat> most of the courses was peeling away or trying to peel away at 
the colonial programming or the colonial trappings of uh, of how how we were made to think and made to act and behave and and <clears throat> and a lot of it was like it's like right now how I felt was like I felt like a stranger in my own native land and I don't think I'm the only one that feels like a stranger in his own native land either and the more, global that we get, the more global that we get no um the more that we lose our own our, our own culture and even if you talk about a swung now it would be different from each one i mean we all have our own experiences so i mean the concept of the filipino identity as just one identity is like it's so incorrect because there are there are so many identities we, we have 7107 plus plus the new islands so there yeah. are so many versions of us and we're all filipino so that whole idea of unifying it by saying that it's just one is is uh it's not applicable to us it's not really it's not really helpful to to our own existence because it invalidates a lot of other languages a lot of other stories a lot of other histories so that one that one was an, a cultural insight that i that i that inspired a lot of ideas that came and became stories because we're in a country that you know it's uh, it's so strange that we're in, that son of a dictator is now running for president and that people forgot that there were so many people that were killed and that were missing and you know it's it's uh that there's so many strange things going on uh our the the government response in covid that one is like so surreal i mean uh there's i mean the list the list can continue so so it's it's like well, that is a Filipino experience. It's so strange, but but it's so real. So, and then that that idea that came from okay, then then create char- then I started to create characters that would imply that uh, cultural trait of our tendency to be forgetful, and that's where that's where um, where the that book of of strange things came out to be that the forgetful old woman stories of uh, forgotten stories of a forgetful old woman because she was she was haunted by by memories and um yeah and she couldn't forget because they're just they're just around her they're they're in in familiar places forgotten places they're in other people they're in i mean they're in other objects uh that, that speak of stories so that's where it started and and uh i would have to give major credit to my my illustrator uh the ma- the amazing jericho martin uh, he really really like ran yeah, away with beautiful, it beautiful beautiful artwork mm-hmm. so yeah that what that one took i think a year and a half to to do and um 
if ever I would do a, another film again, I'd do an animated version of, of Strange Matrix, uh, which is what we're what I'm trying to do. Um, currently, it's it's in in Project Labs, and uh, so we're, we're so if ever it pushes through, then then that's what I would want to do next. But yeah, that's how it started. Now, I, I, I hope um, once it pushes through, because I think the story is very relevant, you know, that you'd invite me to the premiere. I, I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but definitely. Uh, oh, wait, by the way, I did find my ticket over here. So I, I got several of these. So this is the, the one I'm talking about with the QR code. Uh, I wanted to do the, uh, the obelisk one, but yeah, I wasn't able to. No, but yeah. Um, that's how I was very excited when you said that you do animation because when I read Sumpa, when I read your Strange Natives one, number two, the 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 one of the forgetful old woman, I felt that they would be amazing as live action. Don't get me wrong; it's just that you need a really high budget to be able to get like to do justice to it. But as animation, I think it would be much easier. But with that one. Uh, Paolo, I'm just wondering, what, are you going to do like sequels to, to Sumpa? Because I, I'm not really sure now if you guys have sequels right now to it. But do, do you have sequels to it right now for Sumpa? Um, with all of the work that I'm doing for Comic Ed and, and for Pick Off, that's all of my personal writing. All of the work for me, like, had to take a backseat. But there are, um, there are stories that are half written um, for Strange Natives and for Sumpa. And um, maybe you know what I keep saying. Maybe when things get lighter, but things just fast trapped uh, for Comic Ed, especially for Pickoff. Right, and it became about more on being helping other creators get published and get read. That became like more of the priority. So, who knows? Maybe I, I would still want to. I would still want to continue it, and there are some stories, some new new stories that I would want to do. Except that it's it's I just don't have the time. <laughs> so I just don't have which, which is frustrating for me as a reader because like you know and I told this to Rob that you've been making me wait for like five years for a sequel to to Lost right and and Rob was saying you know he's busy with you know other things and now you're making me wait for like Sumpa and Strange Natives that's why like I always told myself one of my rules as a reader is if I'm going to read a series, right, whether it's comics or whatever, I only buy the completed version. Because, like, you know, Watchmen started out as a comic, right? Wherein I think it was like every month they would release something. I'm the type of person that I don't mind waiting for a year, basta it's complete after that. Yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm the type that I don't like waiting for shows. Like, you know, I'm not the type that I'll start a show wait for a week for the next episode. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to wait for a year. Once it's done, I can watch it straight. So, like, be very honest with me. Are we looking at, like, a 2025 
for a sequel to Sumpa or not that far? Well, um, the I really don't know because I, I I would want to have it done, but I'm I'm my own obstacle because I'm you know with with the work that I do, it's just like it's put on the on the back seat and. I, I can't answer that. <laughs> that's the one thing that's that's really uncertain. I mean, if we can, if we talk about Comicat and pick off, I could say, you know, we're gonna do this. This is going to be up to how many years? Uh, we'll keep doing it until we can. But it's it's. I took a break. I, but the but the stories are still are just on pause. It's not like fizzling out or it disappeared it's just on pause and maybe it's uh finding the the right i mean it's really just about timing if it's the right time to i mean if it will it will come out so hopefully by 2020 like ha- have a meeting before this where you're like you asked him rob what did you answer paulo when he when he asked you about these sequels and he's like it, it will come out and it will come out. Just, just tell Paulo that. He'll accept that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's like, um, I think that's something that, that even the creators, even the community would just realize over time is that you aren't chasing after cons and deaths. You're chasing, it's, it's, it'll burn you out. So it's really producing the work um, when you're when you're ready to produce it. So it's it's that's why it's like it's like films, except that most of the comics are done in chapters. You know, that's why in pick off we had to not be strict on the timeline because if we were we would be publishing half day work and yeah readers are very ruthless because you paid money hard-earned money to for the book so the expectations is that it should be good it should be complete right it that the your your point of view on you want to wait for the finished work or you don't want to wait a lot of time that's true that's why the best thing that we can do is publish a compiled version or at least a complete story arc of, of the comic book and that's why Pickoff has a minimum page count of 96 pages because we want to make sure that it's a complete start. Um, what we don't know is, like, can't put a, a, a fixed timeline <coughs> uh, in, in, um, in the production no? because something happens to a creator personally or in his personal life. We can't like say no. You have to continue, even if your your sister got COVID, or even if you lost a job, right? So we can't we can't do that. I mean, once it's published, it's permanent, and that's the first batch. Um, some responded to the pandemic uh, in a way that they had more time to focus on the work. Some were affected and had to take a pause. Uh, some were physically, you know, got sick. 
So we had to like open it up and not. It's a good thing that everything is online because once we have a physical event, you know, you're there and the books have to physically be there. So I don't think we'll be having a physical pickoff next year. I still think that uh, by September it's still going to be an online pickoff. And but we're preparing for 2023, which by then. We either know how to live with the virus, or the virus might magically disappear. But um, by then, we'd have like three batches of of pickoff. Who would be ready uh, by then? So that's what we were thinking. Um, the realization is that creators are used to to working on a chapter basis like 24 pages or maybe 36 48 pages so even the adjustment to create a long long work uh longer work, uh, is also something that's that's uh that's challenging new to some challenging to others some don't mind it, it it's really it's really uh each creator responds differently so I'm avoiding answering your question, right? <laughs> really are, by the way. That's like I'm getting that's away like, with it. That's like avoiding how to avoid a question 101. I'll throw a different ball. <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah, um strange natives if you uh, in the in the inside cover you'd see a photograph of the of the nate of the eight natives. So it's supposed to be eight books. Um the other characters are still un uh, unmentioned, no? but that's the first two. It's Francis and uh, and and um, his lawless is Maria, and then uh, forgotten old lady is Gracia, and so the next book is supposed to be uh, on Francis's grandma. So that's Maria. It's a tribute to Maria Makiling. And then um, the warrior uh, is Banal the Blessed. So he is um, created by Bakala. He's immortal. So he is made by made with sacred bamboo and sacred wood. And, and etched on his back is the mythology of the native land. So every time the native land is in danger he would come up but so that's the fourth Aliu is there he's he's one of the eight and that one will be more on the, on his character he'll be the lead of his own story and that's where he goes through learning to find balance from being Aliu and Baliu and um the girl there is also another pre-colonial goddess whose name is Wika and of course in Filipino that means language but it's yeah. a play on Wicca magic so it's uh how magic the how words can manifest how words can destroy and uh create you know how can create destruction or create uh abundance happiness so that's another character the other one that looks like Jose Rizal is Bahala the shadow of Batala. So yeah. when, in this universe, Batala elevated and is missing. So he 
ascended and um, leaving behind the shadow, his shadow, Bahala, and you know, his resentment that he didn't have his own identity and that he's a shadow god, just a shadow of the almighty Batala. So that's his story. And the last one is, is um, uh, Anito, um, Christianized as San Antonio, uh, the patron saint of blessing. So all of the missing gods are, are, are protected by, by San Antonio or Anito. And that one plays on how that place had to adapt by being Christian. But the pagan, the pagan um, festivities, the pagan rituals are still there, but Christianized. So that one, those are the eight, eight um, those are the eight strange natives uh, Francis is able to see them because his uh, eyes were open, so he was he's able to see the spirit world and sees all of the all of the eight uh, all of the other seven, and he discovers his own divine bloodline, which means he's the grandson of Maria. So that's the Duata story. So you know, thank you for you know explaining the whole strange natives to to our viewers. Uh, that's why, you know, for me, I feel that Strange Natives is something that would, I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the sales and I'm sure it has done really well because it's really an amazing series so far. Uh, but very quickly, um, I, and I think a lot of viewers would get upset with me if I don't talk about this, is Tarantadon Calbo, right? So he kind of started out in slice of life comedy right when like situations in the office situations at home and things like that but i'm just wondering um paulo did you guys get f did you guys ever get complaints about how political he's gotten because obviously you guys aren't i mean look he is his own person no matter what right but you do sell his works right he has volume one and he had the recent volume two uh, and I think, uh, unfortunately, I don't have volume two yet, but uh, I would assume that his volume two has some of his political work in it. And, you know, with the climate right now in terms of the presidential race, um, who's the favorite right now, no matter how idiotic it is, uh, have you guys ever gotten complaints or any messages where in saying, hey, don't carry this guy or... You know, comic books should just be comic books. Don't don't be political. I mean, you, you get where the question's leading, right? Yeah. No, we don't get any complaints. <laughs> we don't. Um, I was actually there was there was um, honestly we were afraid. There was a like a five seconds, five seconds of fear that you know what if, what if the uh, DPS people like would, would uh, but or the apologists, yeah. So we, we are blessed that we weren't attacked. Um, it also kinds of sh shows that how 
little siguro impact that other people think uh, other people think of um, the impact of books or the impact of comics maybe they didn't take it they don't take it seriously um, but we weren't actually it's 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 Tarantagong Kalbo who has to deal with a lot of the hate yeah he gets a lot, a lot. Of, a lot of the heat also uh, because you know that's what social media is everybody has an opinion social media is a platform where people can express their opinions and everybody everybody's opinion thinks that it's valid <laughs> and so, uh, to be honest i do i do value everyone's opinion but sometimes it's like it's it's a waste of like, if it defies logic, <laughs> so you get that. No, sometimes and, I just I just want to tell a person I respect you, but sometimes you're a waste of space. <laughs> like, so I just say I agree to disagree. No, so so to answer your question, no, we are lucky and blessed that we aren't uh, attacked. Um, it also we also make sure that we're doing our job. So um, before we publish him. Uh, we have the manuscript go through a lawyer to make sure that we don't get attacked in that angle as well. So, um, what was your other question? I, I kind of got lost in that one. But uh, actually, but that was the whole proud. question about yeah. the. Did but you we're proud to be attacked by. And I'd say this. Yeah. I would say this again and again to with with uh, with Kevin uh, that we're we're proud and honored and privileged to be his publisher. So it's like, I think one of the purpose of comic is to publish him and all of our authors. No? So we're just lucky to, to be at the right place at the right time in comic story. Na naging publisher siya, and then there was Kevin. And then he also, in, in fact, he, he <coughs> mentioned one time that he would he dropped by secret eight two and then he said someday he'll get published uh, by uh, he'll be in the secret HQ bookstore and months later he was so um I think it's a very brilliant brilliant comics creator not um there are a test that that wit and that uh that in that, that, that intelligent wit and is able to reduce uh, the whole criticism uh, in one frame. So it's not everybody's cup of tea. It's an opinion. And like everybody's opinion, it's valid because it's one person's opinion. It just so happens that his opinion rings true to so many people. Um, he knows the responsibility of being impartial. So he will criticize uh, even people that, that he supports. Uh, I mean... Which I so, love about him. Because it's like he yeah, calls a spade a spade, right? He, he's not a diehard. Because it's, at some point, you have to stay... Uh, a few steps back from what you're criticizing it because in the moment that you are part of the picture you become the picture 
right? So you have to stay. You won't be able to criticize if you're in the picture, um, or be critical. You no know, critical thinking. There's a difference between critical thinking and just being critical. So yeah, yeah agree. Yeah, and then um, he'll be having his uh, next book. Um, we we hope to have one book a year, no? uh, but it depends also on him. So, yeah, uh, that's that's one of our best sellers, actually. The uh, the books are. I'm not surprised. And his books aren't cheap, right? It's um 600 pesos per, per book. Yeah. But then again, the amount of content you get, it's really, really worth it. And it documents the time. It documents what we experienced in 2020, 2021. Oh. Um, so we don't forget because, because we do forget, right? Election is coming up. To forget. And did we forget Coco Pimentel did. Did we forget what uh, what Harry Roque has done, uh, Duque has done. Um, these are the leaders, and do we want them to continue to lead? I mean, that's a question that that uh, that it's the. I mean, that's the lesson of the whole pandemic. It, you have to be your own lead. You have to be your own leader in your own family, in your own organization, in your own company. You have to be responsible and accountable for your actions. So you have to also think of others and and uh, how you affect. How you being part of community or part of a country, how you affect others. You know? So that's the lesson of, of COVID, as painful as that sounds. We have to be our, le- our own leaders that so that and and be responsible and our leaders has to be there's a that's a bigger responsibility to be responsible for the entire entire uh, nation so it's uh it's very revealing so do we still see with blinders or do we still i mean how we vote that's how the future will pan out so you were talking about surveys surveys can be manipulated it could be 2400 uh people interviewed but they could all be pro someone or anti someone so surveys are i mean i worked in advertising and uh, clients love to do these focus group discussions and these surveys but they can be manipulated they can be uh, skewed to favor to favor uh to favor an agenda person yeah yeah so so i take surveys with a grain of salt um, make it make sure because it costs money to do surveys. So there is money behind it. Um, there might be impartial surveys, and you know I'm not saying all surveys are manipulated or are, uh, but you know a paid survey could reveal. I mean perception. You're playing with perception that that 41% are voting for this person, but if you look at if you do, it, that, that's um, that's uh, misleading because that forty percent of how many, two thousand, and exactly. that two thousand, who are these two thousand? We don't know. Are they real people? Maybe. And um, 
the interviewer or the the company that behind the survey are they pro anti do they have their own agenda who's paying their their survey there's so many things that um that are left out of the results so we kind of believe that oh this person is is, is doing so well so that person that uh will mislead people on the fence to go with the winner right so which is very sad but yeah because you don't want to waste your vote right so that's why can i can i cut you off a bit i never believed in the whole wasting your vote thing because you know as a political science student i always say vote with your conscience but make sure you vote with your conscience true but vote with facts because there's that person right who said that perception is real and truth or facts is not <laughs> and that Sorry, was no. extremely disgusting for me and that was revealing no, that's revealing of um of, of your person. and your yeah, yeah. so yeah. um you know That's third world Philippines for you. And it's, you know, it's very sad uh, because the Philippines has always been known as the sick, the sick man of Asia, right? We have so much potential. You know, they always say the BPOs love us because English is sometimes our first language, not our second, right? Filipino becomes our second language. They love us because unlike our neighbors, our local universities are really good. You know, they produce great um, graduates. But I just feel that we always love shooting ourselves in the foot. And that's why I'm very grateful for, you know, Tarantad and Calbo, for Comic all these avenues we're in. It allows artists to show that, guys, gumi singaman kayo dyan. Let's wake up. You Actually, know, the bigger question is why, why, why are people still forgetful? Why are people choosing to see? I guess it's not really about being forgetful, but it's about how Filipinos. And you know, I'm gonna be honest with you, Paolo. I'm one of the few people who love being, who love being um, proven wrong. With my with my with my answers or with my um with my theories but philippines are very picon eh? oh yeah oh no right in the sense <laughs> na, yeah. hindi, mali ka na you're like no fuck that i'm not wrong Kahit mamatay ako na yun, i'll stick to my answer you know politics is a personal choice yeah, that's why that. it's very difficult to to um to convince but it's not impossible it's just it's finding not impossible it's just more of finding is the limit what is the boundary exactly what's the what is the boundary what is the boundary of somebody to to rethink their personal choice because they will always defend it we can always de- not choosing sides or not talking about any group in particular but we will always defend our choices and we can always rationalize 
our choices because we can we're a beauty queen uh country we will oh always say God. what we think is right not what we what is the, our truth so we can always rationalize that you know i'm voting for this because of this i mean there will always be a right answer but at the end of the day you know we just what is the what is the best option for our country i mean if we think about the bigger picture that's why going back to <coughs> going back to Tarantado Calbo, um it just shows the inadequacy the it criticizes things that shouldn't be happening i mean who wouldn't want to celebrate your own country we do that we love that but it's uh it's really really difficult to 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 celebrate mediocrity there's so really many is. so many choices that were just really bad is. choices and, and love being the underdogs. Remember Joseph Schooling, that, that Singaporean who beat Michael Phelps in that one competition? And it's like, oh, Joseph Schooling's nanny was Filipina. It's like, okay. And so, did she teach him how to swim? Did she teach him how to beat Michael Phelps? But anyway, um, Paula, I don't want to keep you for too long. And I don't want this to end up becoming a political thing because we might get... Uh, criticized or so if you find know, okay. Out, okay so people love a good story people invest in stories and, and the filipinos are very emotional people as well so you really need the heart if the, the heart is in the right place it hit that right narrative of the heart and um you know i've, I've worked in advertising there are companies that focus on logic uh, focus on focus group discussions and and research. Sometimes it's it's good. I mean, research is good. It gives you an assurance, but you can't really be assured if it's if it's not done in the right way. You know? So it has to be a narrative that the people can relate to, can identify with, and can champion. So if you go back to 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 what is needed. It's not just the logical or intelligent solution or the in intelligent narrative. It's the one that is intelligent with a heart. You know, it has to be true to all. So it's still, I don't think that any of the candidates have hit that yet because it's easy to say change. I mean, Obama built his story on change, on change alone. Even Duterte shows change as well. So it's really that what what is that narrative that the Filipino people will want to write their future with, right? So it's so if we focus on color, and we can focus on color, it's just going to be who has the most people in in that color, right? So sino ang partido who wants. Who can benefit if you're in this party? It becomes back to personal, personal choice. But if it, it's more of the who has the story that that Filipinos would want to write the future with, right? So that one would be that one could could change 
could change mind and hearts. Colors. That's my well, Yeah, no, but thank you, Paolo. I mean, you know, we've been here for two and a half hours. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to keep you that too long, but anyway, thank you for being here. Uh, before we end the episode, I just want you to, to do your plug-in. So if you want to promote, obviously, Comic Ed and stuff, please go ahead. Okay. Um, thank you, Paula, for having me. Uh, for two and a half hours, about two and a half hours. Yeah, time. nearly two and a half. Please support the comics community by buying a comic book in the Secret HQ bookstore, uh, where you can find independent and uh, I wouldn't say mainstream because there's really no such thing as mainstream for for Filipino books because we're not mainstream. Every book is a collector's item. Once they're out, they're gone. So uh, please support uh, original Filipino uh, stories. Uh, the Philippine International Comics Festival is on is happening on September 2022. It's going to be online. Um, every, I think we're going to, what we did this year, where in every book, that is purchased gives you a festival pass to the I'm looking the for my festival pass. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't want to sell webinars, we wanted to sell more books and yeah. um, and that was a successful strategy. Uh, we were able to 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 sell more books for for, for our creators. And um, when when yeah that's that's a ticket for this year. Um, and when events come back, um, we'll be having comic at events in every, almost every month or in every month. And yeah, do visit us. Yeah. And to my viewers and to my, thank you so much for being here, Paula. Thank you. Um, I rarely do this, but if you do want to visit comic at on the Zadar shop, you just like comic at, and if I were to recommend my top three books from Comic Cat to buy right now. Number one is Sumpa. This is the one. Excuse my receipt. So I forgot to finish the story. I used to spend so much on bookmarks, but I have this really strange OCD that once a bookmark is connected to a book, I never use it again. Then I realize it's better to use receipts so I don't use up so much money. So please read Sumpa. It's very fun. Paolo promises to give a sequel by next year, I hope. <laughs> okay. Kidding. He didn't promise that, but I'm kind of pressuring him to do so. Sumpa is very fun. Strange Natives 2 is excellent. And the third one is any of the communities, whether it's the LGBT, whether it's um the the what you got, the Katapanera one, or my personal favorite as well, the 2051. The, the futuristic oh, one yeah that the that one is community 2020 that one is from the finalists or the selected works yeah, from it's the called community 2051 right uh well that's 2019 to 2050 but it's officially the this was the book yeah. that we for the, 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 that's the one yeah that was was very fun as well it showed like futuristic manila underwater above water very fun so to our viewers please do visit comic Cat, support local um, authors artists amazing books 
Uh, and you have Tarintan and Calbo there. You have Rob Cam, who I personally love. And you also have uh, so many others. You also have this one over here, which I still have to read, The Dead Heart, July 16. I'm definitely going to read this very, very soon. I, I got this, and I'm very happy with the packaging, excellent packaging. Well, thank you again, Paolo Harris, for being here. To our viewers, we'll be back next week where we talk about subtle, toxic Filipino traits. Until then, thank you guys uh, <laughs> very much for being here. Uh, good night, and thank you again, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.